Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. We're talking about Jesus. He's in the last two weeks of his life. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is a fascinating passage to understand what is happening here. There's some tension in the air. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. All of his disciples know that something big is going to happen there. I've drawn here a little representation, a little schematic of what Israel looks like. So we get some idea of the traveling that's going to happen because it's going to play into the story. So Jesus has his ministry up north here at the Galilee region. This is Capernaum where his ministry is. He's going to be traveling to Jerusalem, which is down here in the southern part of Israel. The shortest route is down this way. It is through an area that is called Samaria. So this area was called Samaria. Did the Samaritans and the Jews get along? They did not. So Jesus has started this journey, and there's a couple of things going on. First of all, there's tension in the air. There's tension because he keeps predicting his death. That's making the disciples very confused. They don't really understand why he keeps predicting his death. It doesn't make sense to them. In fact, James and John get their mother right before the trip to ask Jesus if they can have thrones on either side, right? They've been on the internet looking at throne catalogs and trying to figure out just the style that would just fit them right. The sons of thunder, as Jesus calls them, are very concerned about when he's going to take power, when he's going to actually use his power. They are not the only disciples who have been frustrated that Jesus seems to use his power in ways that don't benefit him politically. That is crazy to them. Everyone else they know, if they have power, they use it politically. To put others down, to put themselves up, Jesus uses his power to feed people, to raise them from the dead. He's not promoting himself. Frustrating. There's another issue. The... The second thing, the second reason that there's some tension is this trip to Jerusalem. Every time Jesus goes to Jerusalem, there's what? Trouble. There's problems every time he goes. People are picking up stones to stone him. Those are not rubber rocks. Those are real stones. Jesus is very, very popular with a certain group. Which group is it? The wealthy or the middle class, lower class? Is Jesus popular? The lower class. Is he popular with the people in administration, with the people in power, with the people politically savvy, with the wealthy? No, he's not. 
And those people have a lot of power. They have the power to actually, while they hate him so much, it's murderous. They, 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 it says, the scripture says several times they want to destroy him. Now, why would that be? Well, Pontius Pilate, when Jesus is delivered up to them, he says, it says he knows he's delivered up out of envy. This is just envy. Jesus loves people. He loves the middle class. The every, he basically loves everybody. He's not self-promoting, and he's so very good. And he accuses them of not being who they claim to be, of not being righteous. And he does some very irritating things. This is the last two weeks of his life. Early in his ministry, when he went to Jerusalem the first time, he did something very upsetting to them. Does anyone remember what that might have been? In the temple, he turned over some tables. Now, that wasn't just last year, but it was the year before. Do you think they still remember that? Oh, yes, they do. Oh, he made some enemies there. That People are asking him, what authority are you doing? What are you doing? Who do you claim to be? You are not servile. You're not coming under our authority. Very um, disrespectful, they interpret it. So he has some very serious enemies in Jerusalem, and the disciples know it. So much so that the last time he was in the area, it was actually for Lazarus' funeral, if you recall, which ended up being a resurrection. And when Jesus says, let's go, Lazarus has died, Thomas says something interesting. He says, let us all go and die with him. They are expecting if they get down to Jerusalem, it's very possible that all of them are going to die. This is a serious, serious tension in the air. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he's not knowing where he's going to stay. And if you're the disciples, you're probably asking questions like, you know, when are we going to get there? Where are we going to stay? When are we going to eat? Finally, Jesus says, sends a couple of his disciples along to ask in a Samaritan town to just make preparations for him. So they go, and they return. By the time they all get to the town, they return with some bad news. They're not receiving you. You can't stay here. So Jesus has now traveled this distance down to here, and he's arrived at a Samaritan town somewhere in Samaria, and he's rejected. Was Jesus surprised that he was rejected? Let's just think about this a moment, right? We, we, we often are a little too quick to think what Jesus is thinking. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but let's, uh, let's just think about this a moment. I'm assuming now that Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived. Would the wisest man who ever lived travel a full day's journey knowing that he couldn't stay there? Hmm, probably not. Um, now, his disciples were certainly surprised. We understand that. But we somehow don't imagine Jesus was surprised. I think that he was. I think that he just handled 
his surprise differently. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. This was an unexpected inconvenience. At a very tense time in his life, but he and the disciples, or let's say he and we, seem to handle inconveniences differently. Do you think Jesus was tired by the time he got here a day's journey? I think he probably was. Do you think he was probably more quiet on this journey than he had been on some other journeys? Probably was. Let's look at the reasons why Jesus and the disciples were probably expecting to be received by the Samaritans. Had there been, can you recall a story, an earlier story of him visiting a Samaritan village and having quite a lot of success there? Maybe involving a woman and a well. There we are. Okay. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. There's some rocky going at first, but next thing you know, the whole village comes out, receives him. He stays a couple of days with them. Things go fabulously. Oh, I think there would be every reason in the world that Jesus and his disciples would expect to be received by other Samaritan villages. Wouldn't you have assumed that the word would have traveled to the other Samaritan villages? That they would have told people that that would have kind of started a Samaritan movement? Do we assume everything that Jesus did just went viral? Not so as that anyone would notice, right? Not so, that, not so much in this, in this particular story. So there's some surprises there. Not everything happens just the way you and I are expecting. Had any miracles been done for any Samaritan people? Let me just throw this out. There were ten of them. One of them came back and said, thank you. He was a leper and a Samaritan. Thank you. There had been a miraculous healing in the Samaritan community. That would be reason number two. You would imagine that they would, the people would actually want Jesus in their town. Was, was there no one sick in this town? Was there no one blind or needed any help in this town? Are you people crazy? They said, no, we don't want you to stay here. You know, what about the parable of the good Samaritan? Jesus, in his ministry, had said really positive things about Samaritans and their willingness to help people and to bless people. With all that I've done for you, Why are you rejecting me? Why are you rejecting me? The other point that I've already mentioned, I don't want you to overlook, is this was the shortest and the easiest route to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of shortcuts. I love the shortest route. In fact, when I was... Ten years old, I remember, I had started learning to pray, and, I, and 
What kept coming in the mail was the Publisher's Clearinghouse sweepstakes. Does anyone remember that? Does anyone remember the Publisher's Clearinghouse? Oh, I was praying and praying that I would win the million dollars. I wanted a shortcut in life. God in his wisdom did not allow me to win the Publishers, but I, I applied several years in a row, believing and praying that this was my, the answer to my life. God had a bit of a detour for me. I didn't get the shortest route that I thought would be the good life. So James and John are irritated, understandably so. They've been walking all day. It's, it's end of March, April in Israel. It's warm. They're walking. And they're tired, and now they have this rejection, this inconvenience. And so they say to themselves, they want to call down fire from heaven. Now we laugh at that, but I think there are a couple of reasons they probably wanted to do this. And it makes sense given the fact that they were asking for thrones next to Jesus just, just a few days ago. Does anyone recall the character involved when fire actually came down from heaven and consumed people? Elijah actually did command fire to come down and consume people. And I want to read to you that story because it's a fascinating story. There was an evil king named Ahaziah. He was a wicked king, and, and Elijah had prophesied against him. The king didn't like that, and so he's, he's now going to be sending some men to collect Elijah to come and make an account, account to the king. <clears throat> and we enter the story in 2 Kings chapter 1. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered him, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell at his, on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50. And now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Wow. So the disciples 
good Jewish boys would have known this story. This is a very impressive story. <coughs> By the way, King Ahaziah was the king whose palace was in Samaria. King Ahaziah, where this happened, had his palace in Samaria. He was a king of the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom of Judah. Very interesting parallel here. This king was a king of Samaria. Another interesting anecdote, why James and John might be especially sympathetic toward Elijah. Had James and John ever met Elijah? On the Mount of Transfiguration, thank you. Peter, James, and John meet Moses and Elijah, and they are discussing with Jesus probably what James and John think are how to take over the country <laughs> using fire from heaven. And so they are very, they, and Peter says, hey, let's make some, some shelters, some tabernacles, so we can all, you know, now that we're all pals, we're, we can talk, and it'll be great here. So very possibly these two brothers, James and John, the sons of thunder, are thinking, look, Jesus is just waiting for the opportunity to call fire down from heaven. What more perfect opportunity than the start of our trip to Jerusalem to start knocking out and consuming people, anyone who shows us any opposition? So how are you when plans change? How do you respond when you have put time and energy and momentum into your plan and somebody cancels on you? Somebody has the nerve to say uh, no. Well, I'm going to give an example. I, I, recently, I was supposed to meet with a man friend of mine, known him for years, and I felt that this man was making some decisions, some decisions that were not godly. And so I made an appointment with him. I said, look, let's, let's get together. I have some things I want to talk with you about. And knowing that I was going to have to sort of confront this man on some of these decisions, it cost me a few nights sleep. I'm thinking just how I'm going to say it to be gentle, and so he'll receive it, you know, not too confrontational. A couple of hours before the meeting, I get a text. He says, uh, I hate to cancel on you, but can't meet. Okay, I was a little relieved. Set up something for the next week. The same thing happens the next week. It's costing me time and energy trying to figure out, you know, just how I'm going to present this case so that he will not feel that I'm you know, holier than thou, judging him, but that he'll sort of receive the word that I believe the Lord has given me, saying, right, this man is making poor decisions. He's, he's going in the wrong direction. Day before, I just text him to make sure we're on. Sure enough, I get a text back. Can't meet again this week. Sorry about that. This time, I was angry. <laughs> Something rose up inside of me. And I said, well, what, 
Well, then I don't have to meet with you either. Then maybe I'll cancel on you next time. All those thoughts, what are those thoughts of revenge? Why? And I want to unpack this because what we're talking about for Jesus and the disciples and for you and me, it's very, very common. I had expectations. And why was I upset? Well, it had cost me something. I'd already have it. I have an investment. I also sort of wanted to get this over with. And there's another reason that it costs us. You see, we are expecting people to treat us as a priority. And with this man, basically he was saying, David, you are a lower priority to me than you think you should be. That's essentially the, the truth of it. I'm a, lo- I'm a lower priority to him than I believe that I should be. And all of us, this is, this is classic, we, from the time we're young, we, we believe that we're special and we should be treated as special. And I have a, a view of myself that I'm a wise man and people should want me to speak the truth to them. So I have a couple of choices. Now, my initial reaction was, well, I'm going to cancel on him a couple of times, see how it feels. But I know now that that is not the path to joy. That's not the path to happiness. And what Jesus shows us something here, he shows us something very, very powerful. There's two things that he shows us. He shows us patience, and he shows us humility. And if you can respond with patience and with humility, something will happen to you. It's called maturity. And you will have much more joy, and so will the people around you. And let me show you how I unpacked this. Basically, I said I had to really go to God. I had to actually do what what I will call listening prayer. I do it with my wife, and we sit down, and we, we believe that God wants to speak to us. And we'll write a question for him. And then typically, we will start with interactive gratitude. We will start thanking him for things, but not just thanking him for things and then just making a list, but thanking him for something. God, I thank you for that I can see. I thank you for my ears. I thank you for my marriage. But then wait and see what he says in response. So many of our prayers are only one way. This relationship that we want to cultivate, if it's going to be two-way, you have to stop and listen for his response. Yes, I sent you that woman. I'm glad you enjoy her. I'm glad she delights you. Yes, I'm so glad you can see. So we start with interactive gratitude. And what that does is it turns on your your relationship circuits. Because when you're irritated, when you're stressed, when you're angry, it shuts all of those down. So you have to get them back on, or you can't pray, or you can't hear God's voice, or really anyone else's. You just want the problem to go away. And the solution appears to be calling fire down from heaven to consume (laughs) whoever is upsetting you. 
That is, that's natural. So I don't want anyone to be angry or irritated at themselves because they have an initial reaction like I had. That is the light on your dashboard. That is your barometer saying, oh, that pride welling up. How dare you? Those kind of statements are very clear that the Lord is speaking to you, saying it is so ripe for you to move right now into patience and humility. It's going to be a growth step, but it's right there on your doorstep. Don't miss this. How quickly can you turn from that initial anger? I'm going to teach them a lesson. They shouldn't treat me this way. How quickly can you turn to, why do I deserve everyone's attention that I want? Why is it that uh, if I'm special, do I have to insist that everyone treat me special? No, that actually proves I don't really believe it. If I'm special to God, I don't need you to treat me special. I don't need you to make sure you don't cancel on me. And what about patience? What if, what if, what if I can look at this like, well, maybe, God, it's not the right timing. I just wanted to get this off my chest and sort of dump the truck on this guy. <laughs> How important is timing in those kind of very, thank you, very, very important. Does God know the timing when this man may be ready to hear it and when he's probably certainly not ready to hear it? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this is a relationship breaker. When you confront someone saying that they are in disobedience, uh, that can go either way, which is why I'm losing sleep over this. I sense it. I sense the danger. I sense the tension in the air, as the disciples did. There's something that's going to happen here. I don't know what. Maybe it's time for me to have compassion, to realize why this man might be making those decisions and not be so concerned that I get this off my chest and dump the truck on him. What I want to do now is have you just think for a bit on the relationships in your life where people are not prioritizing you the way you would like them to. Most importantly, these are family relationships, work relationships, neighbors. We have a priority that we are expecting to be treated in a certain way. When that doesn't happen, it triggers us. It triggers those feelings, I'm not special, I have to fight this. And what I want you to do is look at those situations. In my case, I also had to go to God and have a little bit of grieving. God, I wanted to deliver this message. I'm, it saddens me that I see this man making poor decisions. Do you understand why I'm grieving over this? Do you understand why I feel upset? And I promise you that God knows all about 
wanting to deliver a message and not being received. He can attune to you. Do you understand why, I'm, why this hurt me that this person rejected me? And so spending a few moments now, I want to spend a few moments in silence just to attune to him with those people in your life who have not prioritized you as highly as you would like. Ask the Lord about them, and then ask him, using patience and humility as guides, how would you like me to respond to this situation with patience and humility? Let's take a few minutes. It's a question that you can ask also. God, how do you view this person? How do you see them? All right, what I'd like to do now, uh, I wanted you to process that. It's so important to process alone with God. And now if if you've got someone with you or you want to write some notes, I want to have a chance to discuss it among yourselves. Uh, Especially these things are, there are some some deep wounds, some deep hurts, some deep family issues. Uh, It's important to be validated that someone understands how you feel. Uh, But then let's encourage one another how you might respond with patience and with humility. Knowing your value does not change no matter what people think of you, even if they're very, very close to you, because your value is set by God. How can you respond with patience and with humility? Uh, Let's let's talk among among ourselves for a few minutes. Okay, okay, let's get... Let's get back together here. James and John have the typical initial response. Anger and revenge. And before we sort of get too hard on them, we all have that initial response. Why? It is inconvenient. The problem with them and with you and with me is that it's now going to actually take you longer to accomplish what you thought would be done earlier. What's actually going to happen here is that they're going to have to backtrack, go all the way over here, drop down, go across the Jordan River, go down the Jordan River Valley. This is very, very low. In fact, by the time you get all the way down here, this is the Dead Sea. This is below sea level. Whereas this path is a sort of slow rise up to Jerusalem here. This goes over the mountains, drops down, now very, very low, getting below sea level. You're going to go across. You're going to go to Jericho here, and you're going to have a 15-mile or so climb very steeply up to Jerusalem. They know that. They're irritated. They don't want to go around. I wanted to have my meeting with that man. I didn't want to wait You want what you want. It's inconvenient. It means it's going to take us longer. It's going to require more energy. And we've already allotted a certain amount, and we get a little stingy with our energy or time or money. It's not supposed to cost me more than this. This is what I have allotted for this particular man, this particular relationship. End of the story. What we find in life 
is that so often what we want costs us more than we think it should. It costs us more than we think it should, but in the process, as we pay the price for it, something beautiful happens to us. It is inconvenient. It takes longer. And just like my story of wanting to win the, the lottery when I was 10 and save myself all of that study and work, God had something good in it. There's a very good chance I would not be standing before you now had I won the lottery at 10 years old. I would have gone on a different path, an easy path, a shortcut path. Is it possible that God is taking you on a detour? He's taking you on a detour. What you thought would make your life happy, that business, that relationship, you were expecting that to be the road to peace, happiness, bliss, but the relationship failed. But the company went under. That was not, that was the, that was not your plan. Maybe a health issue. What, what are the detours in your life that are very unwelcome and that perhaps have been even getting some of this anger or pride or animosity even against God who has allowed that. I don't think James and John were that happy with Jesus. Who did Jesus rebuke? Did he rebuke the Samaritans? No. He rebuked them. But the two of them are on a different wavelength. They don't understand why Jesus is not using his power to get what he wants. If you've got it, you should use it. That's what everyone does in their culture. Jesus is different. And we want to be students of him. And as we look at these events in our lives, the events that you were just reviewing, somewhere in there is probably a lack of respect. What we would say is a devaluation. Someone does not value you and your time your presence as highly as you would like. And that hurts. It hurts. And that hurt will then fuel anger, fear, first of all, because maybe it's true, maybe I'm not valuable. So right below anger is usually fear. Fear sort of makes the anger, the anger is the active emotion. And so we come at it, we come after them. How dare you? So all this energy has to go somewhere. All this fear has to go somewhere. I have to make sure it's not true. I have to make them respect me or put them down so I can get back up a little bit because I have just been discounted, devalued. Can you be discounted or devalued in God's eyes? No. Impossible. Impossible. And Jesus is always trying to get us to see with our spiritual eyes. He's always trying to get the disciples to, to see something that they can't see. That's why he's so humble.
what might be some reasons that the Samaritans, if we care to look at it from their side, every story has another side. By the way, these people that we are so angry with who have devalued us, they are not being people pleasers, are they? So on the opposite side of this is the people pleasing, where we always say yes to everyone. Someone has just said no to us, and that's how it feels. It, it gives us this devaluation. So if you're going to allow people to speak the truth, to be honest, to not have to please you, you have to be able to receive a no. The Samaritans, during the Passover season, as I would imagine it, there were huge numbers of Jews wanting to pass through their territory. Probably in the past, I would imagine that many of them had given them lodging. Just knowing the interactions between Jews and Samaritans, how were the Samaritan hospitality industry treated by the Jewish travelers? Probably not so well. With some contempt, some scorn, I don't know what. You know, maybe they left their litter on the, who knows what. It's very possible that these people, they actually just have some sort of a village policy. I don't know. That they were not accepting any travelers with their face. It says, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. We're not accepting any travelers going to Jerusalem on the holidays. We've, been doing the, we've done that for years. We're not doing it anymore this year. It's just a village policy. I, I don't know. You can take it personally, so many of these things. Like my friend might have had two legitimate reasons he couldn't meet with me. Yes, I wasn't as high a priority as those other things, and I didn't like it. Jesus was not as high a priority as perhaps the, you know, the village council's decision. If we see it from their point of view, they've probably had some abuse going on. They've probably been abused at some point by some of these travelers, especially the huge numbers of travelers, going to Jerusalem to the temple. And by the way, the Samaritans don't believe you have to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple. They have their own. You can worship right there. The, the two religions are very separate. And so they don't want to be supporting all these Jews going somewhere who are going to treat them with contempt. I just say that. I don't know. But I'm saying that because everyone that says no to you, that appears to devalue you, if you're humble about it and you look at it from their point of view, why are you so surprised? Other people have lives. They have other priorities. You and I are not necessarily top priority like we think we should be. Let's look at it from Jesus' point of view. Here's the one person walking the earth who has the legitimate claim to be the top priority. Did he insist that people make him the top priority? Absolutely not. God himself is walking on earth, and he says, you are free not to invite me over. You're, in free, not, you're free not to uh, have me at your house. You don't have to like me. In fact, you can kill me, ultimately. He will allow that. His humility was so powerful, he was totally free. He was totally free. And God wants you to be, and he wants me to be. No matter what anyone does or what not anyone says, your initial reaction is going to come. And I hope that this week, and even as we're processing today, we're going to be planning for some new reactions to those rejections. 
from our family, from our friends, from our colleagues, and we're going to be able to say honestly, Father, I wish I were a higher priority to them. That's honest. But I need to accept reality. Reality. I'm not as high a priority as I want to be. We don't like reality, but it's so important. It's just, it's the truth. Everyone needs it. And he's just showing you, look, you're not as high a priority to these people. Make a note. But you're still a higher priority to me. By the way, am I a priority to you? Always looking at the relationships. Is it possible that people are treating you? Maybe God could say the same to you. Anytime I'm angry with someone now, my wife and I practice this, this dialogue. Sweetheart, is it, is it possible that what is God saying to you in that pain? Are you doing the same to him? Is there a lesson there in our anger at this person? Is God allowing me to go through that because I do that? Oh, that's how it feels when someone doesn't think you're a high priority. I want to talk for a moment about anxiety. As I mentioned to you, the disciples probably had plenty of anxiety. Anxiety is a misuse of your imagination. Anxiety is all in the future. You're feeling it now. Your brain has come up with a scenario that fits. Your brain is a pattern recognition machine. It fits a certain pattern. You've seen this before, that when this and this happen, there is some pain later on, and you're reacting to it. It's giving you anxiety. You can imagine things in the future happening that are going to cause you pain or loss. I say a misuse of the imagination. It's a misuse of the imagination because very few of us, when we think about those events happening in the future, God is not there. He's not in your imagination. You're not imagining you're going to go through that loss with God right there with you. So your imagination is lacking a very critical part of the picture. If you are going to have anxiety about the future, by all means, go there and imagine what God is going to do for you if that happens. If that health issue, if that relationship, if that economic situation happens, God will be there with you every step. And you will draw closer together. And it will be something very, very beautiful. He promises that. All things are going to work together for good. But the most important thing is for you to go there and start to imagine God being with you there. So the disciples were having trouble because they were just imagining that Jesus was going to leave them. He keeps telling them he's going to be taken away. He's going to be arrested. He's going to die. They're having anxiety. They can't imagine what's going to happen to them if Jesus leaves them. But Jesus has continually, continually pointed them toward the Father. You have this relationship through me. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He keeps saying, I am the way, 
for you to have this relationship with the Father. You, you can do what I'm doing. You are my disciples. I and the Father are one. We are together. I want you to be thinking of this as a relationship. So Jesus takes this detour, probably some grumbling going on when they have to go all the way around. In Matthew 19, this area over here is called Judea beyond the Jordan. So they go through this area, and then they come back to Jericho. Long journey. As far as I know, Jesus and the disciples had never been in this area. They had never had to go in this area since Jesus started his ministry. This is the Jordan River. Anyone imagine what happened there early in Jesus' ministry? He was baptized there. John, the, the whole thing started there. Is there any reason why the Father might have wanted Jesus on his last week of life to go on this journey? John the Baptist started this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Pharisees come out, he says, you brood of vipers. It all started there. Jesus comes. John doesn't want to baptize him. Jesus says, let me be baptized by you. And do you think Jesus probably needs to see that spot where he came out of the water and the heavens opened and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did he need to hear those words in the last week of his life? I think he probably did. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, on our detours, the Father will be speaking to us. There's a reason you're going on the detour. There's a reason I didn't win the lottery. There's a reason the relationship broke up, the business failed, because in the detour, in the extra work, the Father's going to be speaking to you, showing you gently, tenderly, kindly, giving you a little more time to wander, maybe even, maybe even going for a swim at that spot where he came up out of the water, saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. And then maybe the memories flooding in from that spot. He could see the, the, the Judean wilderness where he went off and something important happened there. Forty days and forty nights. He was fasting testing by the accuser, by the devil. Why do we go through testing? Well, some of it is for our character, and some of it is to give us the confidence. And so as Jesus is coming here, last week of his life, he's remembering that he was tested. The devil tempted him. What did he say? You don't have to suffer. I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Just bow down and worship me. None of this has to happen. That's how it started. And here he is, going to be facing exactly what the devil was hoping he would succumb to, 
the riches, the fame, all the worldly stuff. And Jesus is always looking beyond to the spiritual world. And he's pointing everyone else, the spiritual world. By going through the testing, by going through the, the tempting, by going through your detours, you're also receiving confidence. I did that before. Jesus has been tested before. He's going to be tested again in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be tested again. But it's always nice as we look and say, wow, God took him on this detour so he would have some very special time with the Father, some very special memories, maybe a special swim in the Jordan. I don't know, but I wonder in your detours, what if getting from point A to point B was not the most important thing? What if getting that relationship fixed, that financial deal going through, was not the most important thing? There was something in the spiritual realm even more important. The relationship, the trust, the confidence that your father was going to actually be with you, show up for you, start believing that. I don't see how it's going to work out, but I know he's going to work it out, and we're going to do it together. He is a good father. I want to stop right there and just take, um, take a few moments of silence. I want you to think in your life about your detours, your relational, your financial, maybe some physical, your detours in life that are not, I don't know if I'm the only one whose life has not worked out exactly as I anticipated. <laughs> I think it is a common human experience that what we plan, that house with the white picket fence or whatever it is that you planned when you were 13, life has just not worked out like that. If you're taking a detour, and I think most of us are, because I believe the life with God, the life with Christ, is a constant transition. You're always seeming like you're in one transition or another. He's always taking you on a detour. You had a direct shot, and suddenly it's a detour. My suggestion to you is if you can reframe your detour into something that's going to require more energy. Yes, take a deep breath, back up a minute, grieve with the Lord. That's not the plan you wanted, but he's going to show himself powerful to you in your detour and in your life and in your relationship with him. Patience and humility are always required on a detour. You can get bitter or you can use your patience and humility and you can grow them to the point where you don't miss those beautiful God moments, those beautiful Jordan River experiences. Do you remember my son? Do you remember my daughter? Where I have brought you? How far I have brought you? Look at where you've come. Let's rejoice together in what I've done in your life. I know you want that thing or that relationship or that issue to work out. I understand. I want this relationship with you to work out. Would you turn your eyes toward me for a bit and let me speak to your soul? Let's just be quiet for a moment and then we'll have a discussion with each other.
All right, now we can take the next couple of minutes. You can talk, talk with each other. I, I hope that we can do what's called a, um, a hum, humble reframe. A humble reframe, to reframe your detour in humility and patience. And I wonder if there's anything that you could even do as you think or you talk to each other now, you can thank God for taking you on that detour. You can see why. You can see now very clearly why they were blocked here. It's, it's crystal clear to us. Besides that Jesus healed many, many people as he traveled this route, but he also had time to go by the Jordan River, which he hadn't been for many years. I want you to see, if you, is there something you can thank God for blocking or for the detours that you've taken? And in doing so, in giving gratitude, you're going to be cultivating that relationship with him, giving him some respect, because maybe you've been treating him for a while like, he really did you a disservice by not answering the prayer for that sweepstakes, uh, that lottery, that relationship or job. So let's uh, talk among ourselves or make some notes now for a few minutes. Father, I thank you for this group. Oh, I see your love for them. I see your incredible love. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be like you. We want to have the patience and humility that you have with the people in our lives, with the detours in our lives. And Lord, especially we want to cultivate the relationship toward you. Open our eyes to see that the path you have us on has many, many blessings that we maybe have not seen. Open the eyes of our heart to see them, and we will praise you for them when we see them. Bless each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you.